Hello, everyone. Welcome to For No to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowertonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. A rolling stone gathers no moss, but does it migrate? That's right, we're back to examining abstract concepts in our quirky, lighthearted way. But don't be fooled. There are personally and societally relevant concrete implications to our discussion. So while Norm and I come to you from the same physical location each week, we try to keep our thoughts and conversations in constant motion to avoid the buildup of any intellectual moss. Today, we're talking about migration. Intellectual moss, man, I've got mushrooms growing up. <laughs> yes. You had another good one. Yeah, intellectual moss is a good one. And then you had another good one before when we were talking before the show, uh, Existential Engine. An Existential Yeah, those engine. are they're excellent <laughs> names. I really like, we got to name something. Like <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we've covered, um, you know, philosophers the past uh, four weeks. Yeah, the yeah. Past four, it's a, lo- a lovely romp. Yeah, and I, I really, I, I really enjoyed it. If you haven't listened to it, um, and you you avoid our episodes on philosophers because you think they might be a little bit dry. <laughs> um, those those ones really came together quite well, and it demonstrated a a good way of developing a philosophical toolbox. I think so. Yeah, and 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 again, this comes from having read a book together. Well, in tandem, um, in this case was called why we are restless. Hmm. Now, if we hadn't gone to that book, we might not have chosen that combination of people to talk to. That book was a marvelous guide. It's an excellent book. It's worth a read. And, um, but that's how things, that's what, uh, let's see, what is the, the causal chain? Yeah. It's bang, boom, we read the book. Ah, now we roll a little bit further and knock some moss off our brains. Yeah. Yeah. So what is migration? Well, the etymology is, succinct and and nicely um, direct comes from the latin means uh, uh i think it's migrare which means moved hmm. or shifted <laughs> and so essentially it's moving from one place to another and 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 uh, across time of, of course we 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 realize as humans that we can be talking about physical movement from one place to another uh, I would assert that we can we can talk about this as we were having before show have conversation about um, changing mm. uh, as we grow and so there's uh, there's a movement sometimes from one set of ideas to another and animal migration which is really the fascinating point for most of us as kids if we yeah. live in a place where we see that so yeah we're you know we're already seeing that migration is going to be an interesting topic if you like what we normally talk about on the show, right? Because <laughs> that intro question pops up immediately. If a, does a rolling stone migrate, right? And so um, a lot no, of people it doesn't because <laughs> it because it doesn't have an intent. Now, in saying that, I'm I'm denying pantheism, which I shouldn't because I think it's an interesting thing. But you you don't. Yeah, I don't know. In the definition, well, yes, because here's the thing, right? Is in doing research for the show, yeah, um, some movement by plant species is considered migration. That's true, and then and there's no necessarily determinable intent. We know the tree systems talk to each other in a in a, in a sense, but I, okay, I retracted. Maybe a rolling <laughs> stone is a migrant. So, yeah. So, but it does raise 
an important question for what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, is how, where does intention play into migration, right? So, so the next question would be how and why do organisms migrate? How? Uh, let's let's do the how first. Uh, so let's tick these off together because I'll miss I'll miss some inevitably. That so. Uh, <laughs> Is this going to be too literal? Let's see. They move on legs. They move with fins. They move with wings. They move with arms. They move with wheels. They they move with carts, uh, with 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 trains. Uh, they move by attaching to deer hide. By getting eaten. <laughs> by getting eaten. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, so the how is is incredibly diverse. Multi multifold. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly diverse. So, hmm. um, the why is more interesting, right? Why do things migrate? So, I think that some of them are pretty self-evident, right? I mean, I think if you, and again, animal migration Let's is- start with it. We're starting with Yeah, animals, right? is, okay, is a right, really good starting point. Because if you look at animals, why do animals migrate? I think that in most cases, it's due to- um, food supply it's due to um weather you know weather patterns due to um you know mating opportunities these sorts of things yeah. um all right that probably covers that's probably the big three for animal migration mm. um and but plant migration you know if you think about it it might be very similar where you know it's probably based significantly on climate Yes, right. the, the heat. Plants can't. Uh, some yeah. plants can not survive in certain heats, and so we see tree migration. We see the, the, the diminishment of certain trees in the south that are becoming more common now in the north. Mm -hmm. uh, as as an example, uh, it's a, it's an interesting question because I, I sometimes talk to my granddaughter about this. So she she's fascinated with dandelions and what happens when they. You know, you blow on them and what's that all about? And she gets the idea that that's seeds or maple trees and the little spinning seeds that come down. And so she'll pick them up and she'll go to a specific spot and say, I want a tree to grow here. So I'm taking this over here and I'm going to put it in the ground here. So she's giving it an intent, but built into the genetics is it's going to try to grow wherever it lands. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, so uh, plant migration is is, I think, more complex than people give it credit for because obviously, heat, you know, play, you know, temperature and, and climate play into it, but also, I mean, food plays into it and and mating opportunities plays into it the same way it does with animals, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, my my brother and I, we have a, a piece of property and and we want to start growing a, a wide variety of trees on it, right? Well, part of that is you have to research and figure out what kind of soil the tree likes. Does it like clay soil? Does it like sandy loam soil? Does it like, you know, what kind of drainage do you need? You know, so all of these play into, you know, the genetics that are encoded for the plants root systems and, and, you know, all of these other things that go. So I think that that's, that's something that people don't quite realize right now at the point in time that we're at when we're recording. Um, there's a big push on the environmental front to plant trees to offset, um, human climate effects, mm -hmm. which is 
a noble intent in theory, but you have to be careful, right? Because if you are artificially migrating species to locations that they don't naturally grow, you can end up with a lot of issues. And we don't need to dive into them right now because that's going to be but, yeah. the next question. But um, yeah, the why for migration, you know, so, you know, usually it's, it's one of those, one of those things, right? Food, climate, mating, and these things are, are in, initiated in different organisms in different ways, right? So, and we all, but I, and, and just to, to, to be fair to people who might be sitting in their chair, grasping it saying, but no, plants don't migrate. Well, there, there, there are those who say plants, trees technically don't migrate because unlike in Shakespeare with Burnham Woods, the trees can't just lift up <laughs> and, and move that, that, that it's a, a dispersal of seeds, but that species as a whole can migrate. So I just thought I'd toss that in. No, we're not talking about trees picking themselves up like an ant in Tolkien or something. Yeah. Like that, and so that's <laughs> another interesting facet of migration that we'll, we'll look at is individual versus species migration, yeah. right? Cause I think that when we think about it on a human level, we normally think about individuals migrating or immigrating. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, with plants, plants only migrate at a species level you know you know an individual isn't going to pick up its roots and go to a different place animals you know are are a little bit different you see a lot of species migration right you know in our in our area you know you see the canada geese flying south right now for all for winter and then in the spring they all fly north so the whole species demonstrates that um some not all species do some species have individuals that that move around and others that stay yeah sometimes geese some stay and and flourish in the the runoff of air conditioning systems from various giant box stores and and, and hang around the somewhat more temperate north yeah the, the, comparatively uh so yeah not every they don't all do that yeah so no that was a good point to to demonstrate was that there's two different types you can have individual and species migration yeah. but and migration is initiated in different ways by different animals right so with um in a lot of cases it's hormones right an animal will have certain hormones that increase to tell it to migrate <laughs> in other cases it's periods of sunlight right they can the sun gets to a certain angle and they can tell that it's it's time to migrate yeah. Yeah. going back to the how there's some interesting ways that animals migrate and how to. There's a lot of birds that have some specific neurons that tap into their magnetoreceptors. They can tap into the Earth's magnetic field, and that's how they know, that's how they navigate, how they figure out where to go. So there is some interesting hows. But that's how. not like a superpower. Yeah, it's magnetoreceptors. Like, that's right. I, <laughs> just, if I could just tap into that, I wouldn't need GPS anymore. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> so uh, there's this huge diversity of ways that mm. things spread around yep. the planet. Yep. Um, there's maybe a more limited, but still numerous reasons for why things diver diverge around the planet. There's individual and grouping factors. So it's, it's a very complex phenomenon, right? In any given species um, or, uh, you know, group of individuals. So, what are the effects of, of migration? Well, you just alluded to something with, with a species 
migration. Let's say plants for a moment. It, 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 England is an example. It's not the only example, but a, a people of means well, over generations, uh, specific, especially in the, I think, 19th century, um, were creating incredible gardens, uh, tree gardens. You know, there are places in Wales and others, the places in England that these are developed so that, but trees from around the planet that finally when ships were of a kind that you could ship trees <laughs> and get them there. And, and, and with, with great technical help with gardeners, uh, who developed their knowledge as, as they, I'm sure lots of failures, uh, happened with this. So you can establish species, but, Almost invariably, it seems that science tells us that that the establishment of a species um, can take unexpected turns and shut down other species. The, the trouble is that we sometimes give some kinds of negative and positive connotations to this. This also developed from the 19th century when when... Um, if we just look at it in a neutral fashion, one species takes over and the other, sometimes the other species is, is shut down or, or, or driven out. Um, I think there are, we'll get back to that. I think there are people who like to use that as a fear mongering way of talking about immigration mm -hmm. in a human sense, but just, just setting that, you know, it, sometimes, um, there is a takeover of one species from another, there were, there are animals in the United States, the continent of America, the United, that we are on, the American continent, North American continent, animals that, that wouldn't have been here had colonization and trade not taken place. Okay, and they put other uh, species out, and um, one can mourn that, I think, you know. Uh, but just from a neutral observational point, that's one of the things you were asking. What happens with, when species move? environments change okay that's a start yeah yeah so um it's a very good point right so there's the effects of migration if we're if we're looking at it broadly you know plants animals um kind of taken as a whole um what you're alluding to is is increased competition right so you know there's there's an established biodome and then if a new species moves in, right, now it's going to be competing with resources from other species, right? So if it's a plant species, um, if it's a, you know, a species of hardwood, right, mm -hmm. there's a, the possibility that it grows tall enough to create a canopy that um, other plants that need a lot of sunlight might now be put into shade and they might not be able to survive. So the new species might crowd out the existing species. Or, um, the alder tree is an example. Of that. Yeah, people call it a junk tree, right? It's right. Like or animals, right? We see um, this sort of cycle that tends to be self-balancing, right? Where okay, if you have a, a prey animal or you know a prey animal that immigrates in, then the predators live large for a while, but then they diminish those resources, and then there's not enough to eat, and then the predators die out, and then the prey rise up again, and so. You know, it just depends on if the new prey is more numerous than the previous one to provide more of a food source or if it's slower or, yeah. you know, 
or if it eats all of the things that the previous prey animal had there. So competition, that's sort of um, uh, unnecessary or, you know, a, a, one of the big effects of migration. And I think that what you, the, the caution that you put in place for transferring that to human migration is important, right? Because humans the different species. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> the difference there is that humans are one species and that in an ideal sense, we are, should not be com competing. We should be collaborating, right? right? We should be working together. And as a matter of fact, there's a lot of statistics that show that is the effects of human migration. Whenever, and migration usually results in increased economic opportunities for both the migrants and for the country that they move into. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of benefits in, in other ways too. So we're throwing grappling hooks between the subjects, the, the yeah. topics. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, so it, it's important. It's important to recognize that. You know, as we talk about migration, you know, yes, um, species do compete. And, you know, not for nothing, you, you briefly touched on the fact that, um, humans are increasingly moving into uh, new locations that they weren't formerly in and competing with other species. And in most cases, winning that competition, and I'll put winning in, in yeah, quotation in marks quotation because marks, yeah. what you don't realize is it's much like I said, right? If humans are the apex predator, whether it means praying to eat or praying just to take land and resources from other animals, um, well, when the prey all dies out, there's nothing for the predator to survive on, right? Yeah. So, yeah. um, increasingly there are people who are, have been talking about this over generations. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so the lobster cook pot is an example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there has to be a balance, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's things that governments have done to, to help with this by est establishing natural, you know, uh, nature reserves and by attempting to restore some lands to, to wilderness. Um, but again, that's where the importance of making sure we identify what species grow where, what things work well, what animals work well. And there's a lot of, you know, I've talked with a lot of people in our local area, um, who do this professionally and, and, they're extremely intelligent and they know a lot of the science behind it. And they're doing a very good job of, of reintroducing native species and things, but yeah, competition, right? Um, yeah. there's, there's demographic changes. That's an effective migration. Right. And I think a good example of that is, um, the African Serengeti, right? There's <laughs> times in the dry season where there's, there's nothing. And then there's other times during the wet season where almost every mammal you can imagine is, is, crowded into one space right? right so demographic changes um and of course this you know plays into the prey predator thing but it also you know plays into human migration right you will see um the demographics of different countries change over time different areas change over time yes um you know there was a study that came out now it's probably f maybe five or ten years ago now that said by 2050 um, Caucasian people will no longer be the majority of people in America. It might have been yeah. sooner than that. Yeah, I, it, it, I, I think it's actually 2030 or 2035. So yeah. And, and I'm thinking, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's, what's the deal? Right. What's the, what's the, you know, that's great. Uh, and, uh, but this is, of course, a flashpoint for people who fear that they're going to have fewer people who look like themselves 
to look at. <laughs> I know it's more than that, but that's if you look at it from just that viewpoint, it gets goofy. Yeah. You know, you know, oh, well, you mean somebody else is going to look like me? Of course somebody's going to look like you, but actually nobody else looks like you because none of us has exactly the same skin tone, despite the fact that we want to say that we do. What's this all about? Yeah. It's so. Yeah. Yeah. So demographic shifts um, occur in, you know, in all, all migrations, right? Right. Um, so I, we're, we're touching on it a little bit, but now we'll, we'll ask the question, how is human migration different from plant and animal migration? And I think it's, this is probably the time to go back to those couple questions that stumped us at the beginning, right? Talking about <laughs> intentionality yeah. and talking about um, types of migration, those sorts of things. But, right. but where would we start on human migration? We should start that we're all the same species. Uh, that's why I asserted that before. We're, we're not talking about uh, deer uh, out uh, of e eating uh, too much because they aren't hunted enough or whatever people's assertions are about that. And and so uh, there needs to be more predators, and so you bring in coyotes, but then people get upset about the coyotes. And, and no, we're talking about people, people. And so, so the question is, why? What is the difference between the, the, human migration and plant and animal? And the, and the difference is, um, the I think the agency issue. This is where philosophy comes into it. Humans. We, we assume that every human has agency on all things. We know better than that. So we should back away from that. We should examine what we mean by the agency. Agency is, as we've said many times, is the willingness and the ability, uh, to make decisions and to, to act on those decisions. Uh, and, and so human agency and aspirational concerns are part of how this is different because animals you can argue that animals have agency mammals have agency perhaps but i think we we're still at the place where we don't necessarily think that animals are making decisions um in the ways that humans make decisions and i know there are people who would be arguing with me about that and i'm totally open to how what we're finding out about animal consciousness but just as a, a point here today a, a foot in the door to talk i uh, let's let's operate under the uh, perhaps flawed notion that humans are able to make choices uh, based on their observation of their circumstances and their projection into the future of how their movement could better their conditions yeah yeah so it i think that it it comes back to oh, so with plant migration we saw that that is pretty much species only individual plants don't migrate right. with animals we see a little bit of variation um right but we're usually talking you know animals are moving from one place to another then they're moving back right, right. so there's usually a seasonal pattern um it's pretty rare for an animal to just pick up and relocate permanently to another area which is what humans do often mm -hmm. right usually um human migration it's not a seasonal thing Although we do have well, some of actually, that, right? Yeah. So, so we have some of Snowbirds. that. Snowbirds. Right, yeah. So in our location, living outside of Buffalo, New York, where we get some of the highest snowfalls in the country, right? Um, if you reach a certain age and you have a certain income level, you decide that you don't want to deal with the snow anymore, right? So you, 
you migrate down to Florida and then you, you know, in the winter and then you come back up for um, summer. So you have a, kind of a similar sort of at least temperature range all year round, right? You're sticking in the, the high 70s. And to there's low a 80s. difference that you've just, you've just hit on that we, I, I think we need to put on the table. And that is the difference between migration and immigration. Because migration is movement, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily imply a movement across boundaries and borders hmm. of, 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 of a, a hardened sense. Yeah. And this is interesting because this comes back to what I was talking about at the end of our episode last week, right? Where astronauts go up into the International Space Station, they look down at Earth and, and, the one thing that they all comment on is that <laughs> there there's no, no borders, lines, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no lines marking off the countries, right? <laughs> and it's funny that we we implicitly identify this with animals, right? Animals migrate. And if animals cross straight state lines, nobody's asking for their visas or, you know, <laughs> making them <laughs> fill out through, Turn yeah, making them fill out paperwork. <laughs> yeah, nobody's nobody's doing that. The closest the closest that we get, right, is with um, a lot of the migration you were talking about of tree species um, in the 18 and 1900s, a lot of those species brought over invasive bugs that ate, you yeah. know, native species and destroyed them. So yeah. now we do have a lot of paperwork and security that goes on when we're sh when we're shipping um, almost anything. Yeah, plants or plant products like lumber and and seeds and those sorts of things across borders, but. But that is an aside, right? Yeah. Animal migration. Nobody's making animals show their visas or do that stuff <laughs> when they cross state lines. With humans, it's different. And so we have this sort of alternative concept for it, right? We do, you know, we use the term um, migration or migrants, but it's much more common to use the words immigrants, right? When people are crossing into a new country um, and, you know, looking to stay, right? Because we should probably talk about at this point, what separates immigrants from refugees, asylum seekers, or nomads, right? Okay, yeah, that's that that would be a, a, a good thing to bring up because refugees are people who are seeking refuge. Uh, the implication and uh, history of the word uh, very sociopolitically is people who have been put in uh, situations where they cannot survive in the place that they are in. Uh, Gaza is an example now. Not to say it, it would be like, a, a, oh, what's the elephant in the room? Well, okay. There are many places. There, if, if, if humans make a place unsurvivable by the actions that they specifically take, then they are creating a population of refugees. And refugees are people who need refuge, but in some circumstances, are not given it and are placed in refugee camps that become multi-generational establishments uh, saying, well, you don't really have a country anymore, you have a camp. Hmm. Uh, but there are people who are refugees uh, in our, uh, in our, in, in these borders, just as an example, refugees from, all right, a fire has burned out millions of acres. Your home is gone. Your town is gone. You need to start somewhere else. You're going to, you're a refugee. You need refuse. And then you migrate, perhaps, in order to get it. All right. So 
There's a start. Yeah, no, I think that that's important. And, and this, again, highlights the complexity of the issue, right? Because I think with, um, you know, here in America, sort of a big, um, a big illustration of this would be um, Native American reservations, right? Well, so yes. this is this is a situation, right, where um, you had people that migrated into a land, right, and they saw their relationship as competitive and they crowded out a species or, you know, they crowded out another group of individuals and now developed this, this area and said, well, this is your area. Right. We, we designate this because we're the winners. I mean, we, we, we should be utterly intolerably embarrassed by and, and flattened by and, and, and to actually thinking fresh things about of the trail of tears and, and, and forcing people into marches that killed many because we, whatever the collective we is at the time, well, no, that's ours now. You get to go here. We do that on a planetary basis, the populations of generation to generation to generation. And, and so that philosophically sets up all kinds of issues. Too, I, that we can't we 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 can't get to all of these, but yeah. But but this is where, and then and then just to go back to the word migrate. Um, when I was a kid, and again to to my social shame, and and uh, and it ought to be to many. And yes, I'm triggering people, Mister DeSantis. <laughs> <laughs> we should feel bad about some things. And, and when I was a kid in a farming area, not, not far from here, people—the word "migrant" was often used as a, a term of derision for uh, people who would come to assist farmers to be paid very little to assist farmers in the harvesting of crops and then move on to the next place where they could harvest the crops and then uh maybe there was a time when they could go back home and then start the process over again so migrant became a oh those are migrant workers it became a a term of uh, derision or negative negatively connoted uh as if to suggest that uh well they're different than us because they have to move around to have work. And yet, when my grandfather, who I did not know, my paternal grandfather, decided that he wanted to make some money, he and a friend of his went out, uh, went out west, uh, Midwest, to do harvesting. And then they crossed the border up into Canada. But then they decided, well, they better get back home. They'd made enough money doing that. But if you were white, it was okay to do that. If you were a person who was brown, well, then you get to feel the terms of derision. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing about um, about the categorization of refugees in in the the conversation of migration, right? Yeah. Somebody is considered a refugee if their migration is in involuntary. In other words, if if they did not choose Good. to migrate, and so that really opens up, you know, uh, an interesting avenue to to considering who are refugees, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to see why people in Gaza or in Syria would be refugees, right? Their, yep. their homeland is under, um, you know, there's war, and so they have to leave their homeland. Or in, people in other areas, right? There's a famine, so they have to leave. Or there's a cataclysmic weather event, and they have to leave. 
but with Native Americans, right, or um, in the case of, of where we live, right, um, people from from Mexico who come up to to do work on the farms, right, are these people refugees, right? And I think that it's interesting because the Native American situation is sort of the inverse of what we normally consider. We think of people of refugees where they have to leave their homeland and go to a new different place against their will in order to survive. Whereas the Native Americans had a land that was taken away from them, but their, their migration was still involuntary, yes. right? And so I yes. think that in, a, in, ma in many ways, you could consider them refugees in their own yes. land. Yes, right? and that's, that's a fascinating, that's an important sub-distinction. Yeah. Uh, in fact, just from the philosophical, keeping it light, <laughs> but, but humans make it impossible to keep things light, really. It's all of us from the word migrate. Yeah, and so with with um, you know people from Central and South America that come to work on on U.S. farms, would they be refugees? You know, it, I think it depends, right? If well, it, you know, certainly, you know, if they can, if they could live in their homeland, then then they wouldn't be. But right. if but if, if they, they come can't. here, yes, they come here because their very existence is in, is in peril. peril, right, then, then they would be considered refugees. They would be considered refugees. And so, so <coughs> nations establish borders with changing rules uh, to somehow... This is, to me, um, uh, 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 laughable, except it's utterly tragic. To, to think that we can filter people and determine, well, why do you want to come here? Are you really in peril? Yes, there's a man trying to kill me. Or yes, I belong to a political party in which people are trying to kill me. I, I need to get my family away. Well, but why couldn't you live in the next country over? Why do you need to come to us? Maybe you should go back and try the next country over here. I'm not trying to trivialize this. I'm just trying to point out how complicated it is. And, and, and the crime is to make it seem as if it's simplistic. Mm. When nations get to a place where they say, close our borders, all right, um, you might as well say, all right, I'm going to close the lining of my stomach because I can't take in any kind of food now because I, I, there's only one kind of food I will eat. I close my stomach to anything else. And I'm going to probably pretty much wither up right. because and, of that. And so, very briefly talked <laughs> about how um, immigration actually has very positive impacts on mm -hmm. the country of, of immigra uh, migration. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but for now, we'll move on to the next category. Sure. So, what makes a migrant an asylum seeker versus a refugee? Someone who's an asylum seeker versus a refugee is that... Um, they have been able to, well, here's one. I won't, this isn't going to cover everything, but as an, as an example, you, you, if you are, are seeking asylum, you know that you are in peril in the place that you were. Uh, there are other people who couldn't necessarily, for all kinds of reasons, make uh, the attempt to move the way you have. So it's an aspirational thing. Again, it's, it's an agency thing. It's conditional. You're, you're able to try. Maybe you've given whatever money you have left to people who are supposed to try to guide you through, and that's always a perilous thing in itself. So, so if you're an asylum seeker, you're trying to find a place where you can feel 
and not threatened. But an asylum seeker is usually an individual or a relatively small group of people, whereas refugees usually suggest a much larger population. Like if, if, I'm not trying to muddy all this up and you're guiding us through it. Are, are we, are we okay? Yeah, yeah, we're fine. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, ideally people would not be seeking uh, asylum because they weren't able to eat because an economic system um, was not working enough to, to feed its population. Um, or an economic, uh, uh, a governmental or ideological system has developed that if you believe certain things, you, you will not survive. And thus you, you seek a, asylum. And, and that's often about, um, national politics on an international scale. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the research that I was doing, the main difference between refugees and asylum seekers was was the volition, right? Refugees yeah. tended to seek it because they, they needed they, to, whereas, gotta live. whereas asylum seekers tended to, tended to seek migration, but a, out of their own free will. But to me, and, and again, this is not, this isn't based on research. This is just my personal thoughts. But to me, it seems that what separates an, a refugee from an asylum seeker is a step on Maslow's hierarchy, right? Mm. Mm. Refugees are seeking migration because they are missing the bare essentials that you need to live. Yes. Food, yes. safety, shelter, right? These sorts of things. Yeah. Due to whatever is happening within the borders of their country. An asylum seeker usually is seeking to migrate due to issues higher up on that ladder. Things related to religious, racial, Politics. economic, yes, political um, differences. And mm. so as a result, like you said, asylum seekers tend to be smaller groups of individuals, usually um, in a targeted population um, that is that is um, being persecuted by the majority powers yeah. within a within a border. So that that's kind of the way that I I sort of view it. But that's just sort of my own. Well, I'm, I'm glad you expressed it because that's really what we're doing. What we're doing here is conversing, not as excuse me, international specialists or people whose degrees are, you know, we're talking philosophically. Yeah. So the last one, what is, is a nomad a migrant? Well, you know, that's, that's interesting. So let's establish a definition of nomad, uh, a, a, a person or a group of people, nomads who, who move from place to place in order to uh, uh, establish the conditions for uh, a continued decent life. Is that? Is that? Yeah, this one's interesting, right? Because um, you know, I think that going back to your um, your talk about migrant workers, right? Yes. Somebody that would travel from farm to farm. I think that they're they're motivated by economic prospects. Whereas I feel like a nomad, um, I think that their reasons for traveling can be widely varied. It's not necessarily due to any one specific driver, right? A, a, a member of a people having no permanent abode 
and who travel from place to place to find, this is the etymology of it, is to find fresh pasture hmm. for their livestock. That's where the term goes back to the Greeks. Right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and so, we connotatively use it a person who does not stay long in the same place, a wanderer. How many TV shows and movies are about the, oh, the individual who, uh, Jack, Jack Reacher is one of these guys, right? That goes from town to town on a bus with a bag just to to see people and to try to do good things. <laughs> okay, the nomad, he's, he's seeking fresh pastures of adventure, but, but for nomadic people, it's pe people who do not have a, a single place of existence, a home base. Yeah, and so it's funny because um, in some ways these people are romanticized, but in real life they're generally looked down upon, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about Romani people. Yeah, you think yeah, yeah, the you know also known as gypsies, right, or carnies, right? I and I know I've you know I've I've known people who are who are gypsies, who, and I've known people who, who are work for carnivals, who, uh, yeah, circuses, or, right? Yeah. And you know they're fascinating people, and they have all kinds of experiences and insights from traveling traveling around and mm -hmm. i think that you know with, with a carnival worker what would separate you from being a nomad is if you had a circuit right if you had a circuit that you traveled then you're not necessarily just looking for new pastures right so that mm -hmm. there's a, an economic it's an established component. set yeah, of pastures yeah. that you circulate them on right and, and i suppose this if you now we're going back to oh the book sapiens and so many <laughs> so many interesting planetary history kinds of yeah books all right so eventually you're moving around for fresh pasture you're going to have established well here's a pasture here's a pasture there's almost a, a, a circuit in some cultures that develops hmm. uh, uh i'm making an overgross generalization based on what we read about thousands and thousands of years of human existence but yes there's there but it's but that that not having a place to live is in some ways what can where the venn diagram uh makes a connection between nomad and refugee yeah especially and I, if people go from place to place because they're trying to find asylum and people are saying nope move on stay in the refugee camp for a little bit of we'll, we'll process your paper nope sorry um either go back and um and face possible death or try to go forward move along <laughs> yeah and so i think that you see why nomads would be romanticized but also disparaged at the same time by sort of examining human history right because if you look at the progression of the human species across the planet um the people that are on the outer edges of civilization are the explorers right the people that are <clears throat> seeing new places learning new things doing exciting stuff but those people are generally people who have been excised from society you know, people who have been sort of put aside. So there's mm -hmm. this strange relationship with them. There's almost this, um, you know, I don't know. It, 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 it's well, like, it's, it's, a, it's the human compunction to feel hierarchical. I'm better than you because I live here. Mm. Yeah. And, and what gives you the right to live here? Well, I was born here. And, and so my, my government says that I have certain rights. So that makes me better than you because you're, you're trying to come here. But I'm here. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you reduce it to those terms, it's so fantastically, ridiculously absurd. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about the effects of it, but now we'll we'll try to dig down into the reason.
dig away. <laughs> Why is immigration such a politically charged topic? It, uh, I, well, okay. So this is me speaking as me. To me, it's a politically charged topic because it is one of the most complicated situations that one can imagine, and it's easy to simplify it and then get people into fighting each other about it. It's easy to vilify people who are in positions of great vulnerability. You would think we would have learned this lesson enough from our own experiences and the terrible things that have been done across our own rather short history, but we don't seem to be able to learn all that well. <laughs> That's me talking. Okay, I'm, I'm on the soapbox, but I'm not trying to, but, but really, it's a, it's, what are you going to do? If you want to get people to, to, to vote for you, well, let's see. Let's pick something that everybody seems to have an opinion on, even if they don't know anything about it, because it sounds dangerous. And in fact, it can be dangerous for people who are trying to immigrate it can be it can uh it, because the, the the people who are waiting to cross the border or trying it we have to put ourselves try to put ourselves in the position of, of of this because we know despite the things that politicians love to say we know that uh, a, a, a minuscule part percentage of people who are crossing the borders are people who want to commit crimes. But that's used as a fear-mongering thing. All right, but we know statistically, okay, so let's see, you got 0.02%. What does that leave us with? A whopping number of people who are trying to cross for other reasons. And there's also an interesting um, obfuscation with correlation and causation. Right? Mm, so you have these mm -hmm. immigrants who are committing crimes. Well, did they set across the border to commit crimes or did they enter into a country and then have no opportunities and are put in a situation where they now feel they have to commit crimes? Well, there you crimes. go, making excuses for people that just aren't as good as we are. That's where the political stuff comes. But it's easy. It's easy to vilify people who don't have any position of standing that we will acknowledge. It's an interesting thought experiment, right? To say, um, let's say, if you know, if you're living in the U.S. right now, mm -hmm. let's say you had um, a, a cataclysmic situation, a weather event or something, um, and you were forced to leave leave the country, and you had to go to a different country, right, where you didn't speak the language, and you know, whatever, you know, think about whatever job you have now. Do they have that work in, mm -hmm. in the country that you're in? And then have, you have a population that's sort of antagonistic to your very presence in the country. Hmm. What opportunities would you have to make an honest living, right? How would you go about it? Um, and so again, we're not, we're not saying that crime is, is uh, a good or, or, ex, you know, no, excusable I, I, thing, I, I, but, I'm, it, but it's just to demonstrate the complexity of human situations. Right. right. And it is not really the issue of immigration, but it's made, the, right, yeah. it's made to be. Um, so, um, so, so let's, uh, philosophically. Yeah. Let's look at, you sent me a good article from Stanford Encyclopedia yes, yeah. on arguments for and against yes. immigration. You want to just hit on like the highlights of what's, people who are against immigration, the reasons for it, and the people who are for immigration, their reasons for it. Because yes, I think that yes. will help sort of um, 
it's a you know, highlight to this. Yeah, highlight why the topic is politically charged. Right. Okay. So, so the uh, among the people who argue for a closed border, and this is internationally, it's it, it's it is something that uh, Western or European uh, countries seem to be making more of an issue. Uh, because of uh, different reasons that they bring up. The most popular argument, this is a Stanford article, for the permissibility and importance of closing borders to outsiders is that this exclusion is necessary in order to preserve a state's distinctive culture. You've got to protect your culture. Um, Some of the talk show people, culture, uh, language, well, okay, so you want to close the borders because you you want people only to be able to speak English, or you want people to speak French, and they're speaking in, in some dialect that you just don't like. All right, so preserving a culture. All right, that's one thing. And, and then I put on, one puts on the table, well, what is this culture that you're trying to preserve? What do you really mean by culture? Yeah, because this is interesting, right? So, um, you know, obviously, a lot of the um, arguments for closed borders are going to be conservative arguments, which means, you know, and conservative just means conserving, right? Conserving whatever is already there versus progressing into new areas. But if you look at um, the reasons for wanting to preserve culture, right? The people in America who want to preserve the culture are people who have strong beliefs in the nuclear family, strong beliefs in religion, strong beliefs in these sorts of things. And if you look at demographically, most of the immigrants that are trying to get into this country are more nuclear and more religious <laughs> than, than the white people but, who but, already but, live but, but, Yeah, see, and that, so th- this is such an important thing because what, dif- what requires a demands d- definition is, is culture. And if you get people to just take off their masks and say, well, well, what, what I mean by culture is that I want people who look like us. Or, I want people who speak the same language. Or, I want people to eat the same food that I do. Really? In the United States, uh, first, the, the, the variety of food that people eat seems to be di- diminishing, so maybe there, there's something to that, but really, we, of all countries, to try to make a, 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 an argument that... Uh, Border crossing is awful. You think a place where um, uh, the, this is where the this is where the fringe comes in. So, what are you trying to do? You're trying to preserve your culture. Well, let's just go to the the the, the worst part of that. Say, I'm trying to preserve whiteness. Oh, well, why are you afraid that whiteness? Well, because let's see, we just talked a little while ago that it's uh, we. Uh, Caucasian, <laughs> strange term anyway, uh, people uh, might not be dominant in numbers pretty soon. This is a crisis? Why is this a crisis? Because you're white, therefore you are a certain way? Um, shouldn't be that way. <laughs> yeah, I think once you, get, once you get past the color of people's skin... You can look at the fairly recent history of the U.S. and see how ridiculous the argument is, right? Because I currently live in a town where there are shuttered bars and shuttered churches um, when 
Polish and Italian and German people all hated each other and didn't want the new immigrants and Irish people, right? And now we look at it and most of these people can't draw distinctions between themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. they've all assimilated. That's exactly what's going to happen with people of any other culture or race. We're going to adopt some of their food. We're going to adopt some of their culture. And it's for gonna- all these remarkable chains of shade, shade uh, varieties of, of shades of beautiful color. <laughs> the National Geographic had a, 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 a few years ago, I can't pin the year, but uh, this this map of all the shades of people on the planet. It was gloriously beautiful, just for an artistic viewpoint. And, and so, yeah, so great. What, you know? So, yeah, let's, um, we're running a little short on time. Yeah, so, sorry, why don't you sorry, hit, sorry. we'll hit all the bone, <laughs> all the bullet points for um, arguments for uh, closed uh, borders and then the ones against, and then we'll discuss it. Okay. So, <laughs> I apologize, Joel. It's just, it's today. Argue, uh, uh, all right. So, so culture and, and all the different things culture can mean. Um, uh, uh, political stability. This is the argument of people who, uh, um, um, social uh, stability, uh, economic uh, viability. So, so that you, you presumably be, you, you want to save your, you want to have money and you're afraid that everybody's going to use it up. Um, um, not having enough resources. Okay. All right. So that that's arguments for closed borders. Yes. And then what what do we have for for immigration? Um, something we were talking about before: uh, fresh music, fresh art, fresh. Okay. So the humanities, uh, an infusion of ideas that fuse various kinds of of things. Uh, uh, social. <laughs> Social freshness, fresh thought, fresh ways to approach these fresh uh, systems, fresh ways of perhaps uh, changing the way business is done and, and work is done. Uh, uh, somewhat uh, uh, of a mar- remarkable creative chaos, po- possibilities for fresh uh, of food, and and uh, uh, yeah, fresh social systems. So it's interesting, right? When you read through those two lists, the thing that sticks out to me, right, is that they're both pointing to the same things. <laughs> but one side is saying that those things are negative and one side is saying that those things are positive. When you reduce it, yes. There's really no, it's not as if um, people on one side are refuting the 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 viewpoint of somebody they're they're not refuting the the facts of the matter but they're refuting whether or not it's a positive or a negative thing right it and it comes down to change right change in the form of new people coming to a new place mm-hmm. and so i think that you know it's it's easy to look back at at history and see how these sorts of things have played out in in different areas and we talked about that just a couple minutes ago um in the in just just caucasian migration right in our current little area right there's been waves of migration of of white people whether you're irish or polish or german or italian or whatever who have come to the same location and initially there's always that um separation right different schools and different bars and different churches and things but over time 
they've assimilated right until we we have you know different f- food from all the cultures that we eat there's different music from all the cultures that we enjoy there's different art from the, all, all the cultures right um and so you know and then the other part of it is you know these the arguments against immigration in terms of um you know being an economic drain really that one is egregious right because nothing could be further from the truth and i think the 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 stark example of that is post world war ii right when you had you know you had asylum seekers which we've talked about in the forms of um jewish scientists who Mm -hmm. were looked to escape germany and came to the u.s um and also you know uh you know people you know so there's people coming from all over to here and what what you find is like we talked about the economics of the country that has high amounts of immigration increases but also we talked about demographic changes right um so sure white people will no longer be a majority but the fact of the matter is if you close down immigration since the early 1970s the u.s has been reproducing at a rate less than 2.2 children per couple Hmm. and that is under the replacement rate meaning that the population would decline and if the population declines, um, there's a lot of terrible effects on the country, right? The only thing that's been keeping America above that population decline is immigration, right? Yeah. And like you mentioned, immigration is normally um, sort of uh, demonized by it being presented as the worst of another country's citizens trying to get to a new country. It's really the opposite of that. In most cases, it's the most highly educated, most skilled people from another country coming here yep. um, to do highly skilled jobs. And I can hear people. I can hear people say, "Yes, well, we have legal immigration, but are are, are you really alluding to uh, illegal immigration?" And that's a whole <laughs> really different topic in some ways. But it's but if if you make conditions such that people think that your place is better to go to than somewhere else and their place can't be good enough, then of course they're going to want to come here. And just because they're trying to come here illegally does not mean necessarily of by definition illegally because it's our our idea of legal is that they're bad people. I know it's very common trying to say this over and over again. It's a, it's a very complicated problem it's not going to be solved by name calling and and vilifying yeah and And i think that that's the unethical part of all of this right and i mean we live in an area where um the importance of illegal immigration is sort of exemplified right where um so we talked about the most skilled um people leaving other countries to immigrate here you know and that's referred to as brain drain, actually. It's, it's looked at as a negative effect by the rest of the world. The rest of the world says, you're taking our best people into your country. And so they, re- they sort of resent us for that. But then on the, uh, on the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum, um, you have people doing the work that you know, normal people in the country are unwilling to do. Yeah. But it's work that has to be done, right? You know, in vital work and, and yes. And if people aren't going to take it, then why should we vilify people who, who who do? You want to vilify people that if those people didn't exist and if you continue to make and if you actually 
if you got your wish and you made it so that these people could not be here, you would not eat. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, 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 yeah, it, really, it does come to the, so I, I do apologize because I don't, I, I, I wasn't trying to over take us over, over time or, or something like that. But I just think it of all times when we, of what we've talked about over the years, um, this, this one word migrant, which is built into immigrant, which is, uh, plays out into nomad and refugee. Um, the world, there are, there, are, there are now more refugees than there have ever been in history. There are now more border crossings and people trying to cross borders. And we have to look back at the, uh, to tie it up maybe, to help tie it up. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go back to what we were talking about with, the, we, we know, well, most people know, even if they don't want to know, they kind of, it's hard to avoid and convince themselves, but it's hard to avoid that the climate's changing. Water resources are changing. Uh, lands are going to disappear. Uh, whole populations of islands are going to have to go somewhere. Cities are not going to be able to be habitable nearly as much. And we're talking about within the space of less than 80 years. People are going to be coming here. Mm. And people are going to be coming to the borders of, of upper Europe. And not because they necessarily want to, but because they want to survive. And that's a very complicated thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, um, you know, that is a good way of, of, of tying it up. And, you know, I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff in this episode. You know, we, we start with the biological yeah. um, aspects of, you know, migration. We looked at, um, different issues that sort of defined it. And then we, we segued into the, um, you know, socio political and, and individual, um, aspects of it. And I think that that the earlier conversation helped contextualize it some. And I think that it will play into, you know, future conversations that we'll have about some of these issues too. So mm -hmm. until next time, keep pondering.